Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. It's Thursday, January 30th. Roland is traveling today. I'm your host, Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver. Here's what's coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Vanessa Bryant speaks for the first time since her husband and daughter were killed in a helicopter accident. We'll share her words with you. The first person-to-person transmission of the coronavirus has been reported in the United States. And the Texas student who refused to cut his dreads got a significant surprise. We'll tell you what that was. And are women better leaders than men? President Obama seems to think so. Uh, You'll meet two powerful sisters who are putting it to the test. The impeachment hearing continues today with a ridiculous ritual of written questions. We'll show you some of the questions and answers. Plus, black farmers are in danger of losing their farms because of Trump's trade war with China. The founder of the National Black Farmer Association joins us to explain. It's time to bring the funk. You're on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. Best believe he's knowing Putting it down from sports to news to politics 
Bryant is speaking on her Instagram account for the first time since her husband and daughter and seven others were killed in a helicopter crash on Sunday morning. She posted, my girls and I want to thank the millions of people who've shown support and love during this horrific time. Thank you for all the prayers. We definitely need them. We are completely devastated by the sudden loss of my adoring husband, Kobe, and the amazing father of our children, and my beautiful, sweet Gianna, a loving, thoughtful, and wonderful daughter, an amazing sister to Natalia, Bianca, and Capri. We are also devastated for the families who lost their loved ones on Sunday, and we share in their grief intimately. There aren't enough words to describe our pain right now. I take comfort in knowing that Kobe and Gigi both knew that they were so deeply loved. We were so incredibly blessed to have them in our lives. I wish they were here with us forever. They were our beautiful blessings taken from us too soon. I'm not sure what our lives hold beyond today, and it's impossible to imagine life without them. But we wake up each day trying to keep pushing because Kobe and our baby girl, Gigi, are shining uh, on us to light the way. Our love for them is endless, and that's to say immeasurable. I just wish I could hug them, kiss them, and bless them. Have them here with us forever. Thank you for sharing your joy, your grief, and your support with us. We ask that you grant us the respect and privacy we will need to navigate this new reality. To honor our team Mamba family, the Namba Sports Foundation has set up the Mamba On Three Fund to help support the other families affected by this tragedy. To donate, please go to mambaon3.org. To further Kobe and Gianna's legacy in youth sports, please visit mambasportsfoundation.org. Thank you so much for listing us up in your prayers and for loving Kobe, Gigi, Natalia, Bianca, Capri, and me. In other words, in other news, <clears throat> the first person-to-person -person transmission of coronavirus has been reported in the United States as China confirms more than 8,100 cases. The World Health Organization will reconvene its emergency committee to determine whether the coronavirus outbreak amounts to a public health emergency or international concern, as the total number of people infected in mainland China surpassed those infected within SARS during the 2002 and 2003 epidemic. Here's Dr. Tidris Adhanam, Director General of the World Health Organization. We have not seen any deaths outside China for which we must all be grateful. Although these numbers are still relatively small compared to the numbers of cases in China, we must all act together now to limit further spread. The vast majority of cases outside China have a travel history to Wuhan or contact with someone with a travel history to Wuhan. We don't know what sort of damage this virus could do if it were to spread in a country with a weaker health system. We must act now to help countries prepare for that possibility. For all of these reasons, I'm declaring a public health emergency of international concern over the global outbreak of novel coronavirus. The main reason for this declaration is not because of what is happening in China, but because of what is happening in other countries. Our greatest concern is the potential for the virus to spread to countries with weaker health systems. 
and which are ill-prepared to deal with it. And here's some good news. Ellen DeGeneres and Alicia Keys are lending support to a Texas teenager who was told that he won't get to walk at graduation if he doesn't cut his locks. DeAndre Arnold was presented with a check for $20,000 to go toward his college education when he appeared on The Ellen Show yesterday. The 18-year-old is a senior at Barbers Hill High School in Mount Bellevue, Texas, but he hasn't been to school for several days. Just before the start of winter break in December, the Barbers Hill Independent School District, which Arnold's high school is part of, told his family that if he didn't cut his locks, he would be barred from walking at graduation. We'll stay on top of this story. Now, President Obama once said, I'm absolutely confident that for two years, if every nation on earth was run by women, you would see a significant improvement across the board on just about everything, living standards and outcomes. Although that's the assessment of many, a Pew Research Center poll shows that the percentage of female Fortune 500 CEOs reached its all-time high of 6.4% in 2017 and fell to 4.8% again in 2018. So why are these advancements so slow? And if you add black women to the equation, the advancements are even slower. It's at zero, actually, right now for black women. Joining me now are two women who are managed to break, who have managed to break through. Dr. C. Nicole Nosen, Mason, so sorry, Nicole, <laughs> is president and CEO of the Institute for Women's Policy Research, and Ashanti Goler is political director for Emerge America. So welcome to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thank you. Yes. I Happy am so here. excited to have you guys here for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, you're both brilliant, and you both have these sort of historic posts, the first black women to head each of these organizations. Yeah. Uh, so what does it feel through to break through, uh, not only in terms of being a woman leader, but specifically being a black woman leader of these very historic organizations? First, Ashanti. All right, well, thank you. So excited to be here. And for me, it's still sinking in because we just announced my promotion to president on Monday. Yes. So it's only been day four and navigating everything. But that is what I sit with, the fact that I now lead an organization that was founded by people that did not look like me. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, I'm now ushering us forward. So it's the fact that black women really are leading in more ways. And I'm excited that people are seeing our leadership. So when we're talking about the hashtag black women lead is actually happening. But I'm just excited about 2020 and moving forward, but really lifting up and supporting other women. Yeah. That is what gets me up every day. But to be able to do it in this position and movement building with recruiting and training more women mm -hmm. for them to see their potential, I'm just excited about the future. Yeah, can you tell people a little bit about what Emerge America does? Yeah, so at Emerge, we recruit and train Democratic women to run for office and provide them a powerful network of support. We are founded in 2002 with Emerge California. We created Emerge America in 2005 to grow the sisterhood. We are now in 26 states across the country, with the majority of our expansion being in the South, which I focused on when I came to Emerge for two reasons. First, there are good women in the South who want to run for office. Mm -hmm. And I really want to make sure that we were recruiting and training black women because all they needed was someone to invest within them. And with our signature program, we demystify what it takes to run for office. And I'm excited about all the gains that we've made in the South. We're still the only national organization playing in a lot of these places in the South, making these investments. 
and you're already just seeing great women such as Congresswoman Lucy McNabb. Mm -hmm. We trained her at our boot camp in Georgia. When she first did the boot camp, she was running for the state house. She called me in February 2018. She said, Ashanti, my heart is with Congress. That's what the Lord is telling me to do. I said, let's do it. And she won that seat. So it's not only women running, but Emerge helps women blaze trails and really take their seat at the table mm -hmm. to define politics in the future of this country. Absolutely. And she is the mother of Jordan Davis. Yeah. Uh, so she has been able to really champion this cause around guns and yeah. making sure we have more sensible gun laws. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's really what we see. When we talk about women running for office, men kind of get offended when I say this, but women run for office to get things done, where men sometimes run for office just to be something. Oh, and oh. sorry, <laughs> I said it. Sorry, men. Yeah. Love men. You're great. But it's true because when you look at just women in leadership, women introduce more bills. They co-sponsor more bills. Though they may run for office for a specific reason, such as Congresswoman McBath, it was gun violence prevention. Mm -hmm. They lead on all areas because they care about the entire community. And women will reach across the aisle to get things done. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing just all of these photos of women coming together and the women caucusing and saying, this is what we're going to do. And when you look at a lot of the top countries, they are led by women. Yeah. So there is something to be said about women's leadership. And mm -hmm. going back to what President Obama said, I spoke to a black student retreat and one of the women, the young women asked me, a lot of people said he was pandering. What do you think? And I said, well, two things. We know President Obama is a smart man here. Michelle Obama, and frankly, <laughs> it's just facts what he said. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, see Nicole, <laughs> Institute for Women's Policy Research is a, really the premier women's think tank in the nation. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got there and where you plan to take it in the future? So, um, I got there, uh, I think like a lot of women, and black women, we have just been doing the work mm -hmm. over many, many years and opportunity presents itself and that's what happened with IWPR. One of the things I want to say is that we are living in a really historic moment that I don't think we've been able to fully understand and realize and appreciate. Black women are leading many of the national um, civil rights uh, think tanks, uh, organizations in this country right now. Um, I'm thinking about Fatima Goss-Graves. I'm thinking about the new leader of NELP, uh, mm -hmm. the National Employment Law Project, and many other organizations. And so, um, but I don't feel like as a nation we've caught up to that reality, so I'm really happy to be uh, among those leaders. Um, when I think about IWPR and our work and um, stepping into that role, I want to say that um, I don't know if people thought it was going to be me. <laughs> uh, I know. When I got the email and I saw your face, I was like, like yes! Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and, you know, um, and I thought, and I believe people thought it was going to be business as usual. Yeah. And I just mm. came in and shook everything up and said, you know, we really need to be talking about racial equity. We need to have an intersectional framework. We need oh, that to is shaking it up. About, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, and so, um, and, you know, and that's how I lead, and that's my point of view, and that's where I come from in my social location. And what you are seeing when black women lead or when women lead, they bring 
all of that mm -hmm. with them. And um, like you said, when it, I mean, I think that's brilliant. Um, what I know for sure is that women who become involved in politics or choose to lead, they do it because they feel personally invested or it's an issue that's directly impact them and their communities. And um, with IWPR, issues of economics, women's economic security and family economic security are issues that have been near and dear to me for my entire life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I love it. And I just keep showing up and, you know, being who I am. Well, I have to ask you this one <laughs> other question just to sort of piggyback on that. Because when you look at the leadership of organizations that are, for example, traditionally women's organizations, you do typically see white women at the helm, a white woman focus in terms of their subject matter specifics, uh, in terms of what they handle. So it's just wonderful to see you there. But when you also, when you look at traditionally black civil rights organizations, you typically see men at the mm. helm of mm -hmm. leadership. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality. Even the organizations that you mentioned, they were civil rights organizations, but they're not black-focused civil rights organizations. Yes. So you guys are um, sort of really breaking this mold of being in leadership in a space that traditionally centers the white woman's experience, to mm -hmm. be very real, be very real about it. Yeah. Um, in that space, what do you think we could all do to make sure that other organizations, other women's organizations, but also civil rights black organizations begin to see the wealth of talent that we have among black women to be to ascend to leadership positions in those spaces as well. So one of the things, I was just at this meeting yesterday and it was a strategy session and we're talking about our direction, what we we're gonna do, and everybody had all these ideas and they were like, and you need to do this, you need to be focused on this. And there was another black woman in the room that said, hold up, what you're not going to do is put all these expectations on this woman. Yes. you know, on me, on Nicole, um, because we're not asking that of these other organizations that right. have $65 million budgets. Right. And that was a moment for me to, to also step back and say, you know what, you don't have to be all things. Right. You can do what you do well and just do that. Right. Uh, and also that other black women have my back. Because yes. she saw what was happening and what was being set up, and she said, no way, not mm -hmm. on my watch. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it today, and she said, I got you. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I think about the pressure, um, so the other thing that, I, and I said this when I was interviewed for IWPR, mm -hmm. I said, well, I know the stat is that um, people, new EDs, new leaders, um, in an organization, they last about 18 months. Mm -hmm. You get over that 18 months, you, you know, you're pretty much good to go. But most right. people fail, most new leaders in CEO positions fail within the first 18 months. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you going to do to help me be successful in this role? Mm -hmm. uh, because I want to be very clear that this is not about me being superwoman. It's about what we do, you know, together. And right. so not being set up for failure. And I know that what happens, and I think it's different for black women and women of color than white women, that if we fail in the role, it's going to be like, that's why we're not hiring another Exactly. One. Exactly. You know, and so it's just a different level of pressure, I think, that we have to face that I think is even different from black men. Absolutely. And so, Ashanti, similarly, I love the fact that you were saying that you had this ally, basically, this other yeah. black woman in the room to say, no, you're not going to hold her to different expectations than others. What's advice would you give other ambitious black women who are watching us right now that want to move up to leadership to make sure that they not only get there, but they have the support that they need to stay there? So one of the things that I say all the time is you have to show up and be your authentic self. 
and that's what I did at Emerge. When I came, I was the only black woman on staff. I looked at our board at the time, no wow. other black women. Wow. Looked at the advisory board. And this wasn't 1960, was it? No, this was in, <laughs> like last year. This was in 2016. <laughs> so I knew I had my work cut out for me, right. but it's like you said, I knew that I wasn't going into that space alone. Right. That I had so many other black women behind me. And when you embrace diversity, you know, however you want to define it, I prefer to call it equity and justice, mm -hmm. that makes every organization better. Yeah. So I fought first in the things that I knew I could change. I'm like, I'm the political director. What do I control? Mm -hmm. I control our expansion, what new states we're going to, our strategic recruitment. I get to put forth names for seats, our right. partnerships, what groups are we working for? Yeah. So I infiltrated first in my work, and because I'm the political director for a political organization, right. that meant I got to work with the other departments. Right. And they started coming along mm -hmm. and it got to the point where like my white colleagues were the ones who were backing me up. Mm -hmm. Like when something out of pocket was said, I didn't even have to get off mute because they had it. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I like this, yes. you know, because they were standing up and they were calling other people out. Yeah. And I'm glad to say like Emerge of 2020, it has a black woman president, it has a Latina chief of staff, and it has an AAPI board chair. Awesome. Mm. So that is what happens when you live your values. Mm -hmm. So just show up and do it. And honestly, if they push back, it's not the place for you. Right. Like, that yeah. is it. Like, don't change. Don't sit back. And I'd be honest about the fact when I see other black women, women of color in spaces, mm -hmm. and I'm like, how everything is going? They're like, oh, it's great. It's lovely. I was like, mm, you need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in Because like, like, it's not the only place in the world. Exactly. I'm like, you're giving me that answer, and you can't even be real with me. It's time to leave, Absolutely. got to go. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming today, and thank you so much for representing all the black girl magic up <laughs> in the space. Great to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you. Everything you do, Dr. Avis. Yeah. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Thank you. So join um, Dr. Should we do a break? Yes. All right. We got to go to break. We'll be right back. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rolandmartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Join Dr. Jackie Hood Martin as she engages others to think like a leader. Are you looking to, to enhance your leadership or that of your team in 2020? Join our newest online course and mastermind group, How Successful People Think. She will be your guide as you learn timeless leadership principles to apply to daily living. Offer expires February 28th, 2020. Register for or start the online course today at livetolead.com slash leadsburg. So yesterday was the first day that senators got to ask questions of the House managers and Trump's defense team. The questions are sent to Chief Justice John Roberts, who reads them aloud. They have up to 16 hours to complete this process, and here are some of the exchanges. Senator Harris and Murray ask the House managers, 
The House of Representatives is now in possession of a tape of President Trump saying of Ambassador Maria Yovanovitch, quote, get rid of her, get her out tomorrow. I don't care, get her out tomorrow, take her out, okay, do it, end quote. President Trump gave this order to Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, two men who carried out Trump's pressure campaign in Ukraine at the, the direction of Rudy Giuliani. Does the discovery of this tape suggest that if the Senate does not pursue all relevant evidence, including witnesses and documents, that new evidence will continue to come to light after the Senate renders a verdict? The answer is yes. Um, what we have seen really over the last several weeks since the passage of the articles in the House of Representatives is every week, indeed, sometimes every day, there is new information coming to light. Uh, we know there's going to be new information coming to light on March 17th when the Bolton book comes out. That is, if the NSC isn't successful in redacting it uh, or preventing uh, much of its publication. Uh, and on that issue, I do want to mention one other thing uh, in response to the question about the Bolton manuscript and what did the White House lawyers know. Because I listened very carefully to the answer to that question, and maybe you listened more carefully than I did. What I thought I heard them say in the answer to that question, what did they know about the manuscript and when did they know it, their statement was very precisely worded. The NSC unit reviewing the book did not share the manuscript. Well, that's a different question than whether the White House lawyers found out what's in it. Because you don't have to circulate the manuscript to have someone walk over to the White House and say, you do not want John Bolton to testify. Let me tell you, you do not want John Bolton to testify. You don't need to read his manuscript because I can tell you what's in it. So I, the denial was a very carefully worded one. Uh, I don't know what the White House lawyers knew and when they knew it, but they did represent to you repeatedly that the president never told a witness that he was freezing the aid to get Ukraine to do these investigations. Uh, and we know that's not true. You know that from the witnesses we've already heard from, but we also know at least if the reporting is correct, and you should find out if it is, uh, that John Bolton tells a very different story. So there are going to continue to be revelations, and members of this body on both sides of the aisle are going to have to answer a question each time it does, why didn't you want to know that when it would have helped inform your decision? Question from Senator Cassidy and Senator Risch uh, for both uh, uh, parties, beginning uh, with the President's counsel first. We saw a video of Mr. Nadler saying, quote, there must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Such an impeachment will lack legitimacy, will produce divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come, and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions." End quote. Given the well-known dislike of some House Democrats for President Trump and the stated desire <coughs> excuse me, of some to impeach before the President was inaugurated and the strictly partisan vote in favor of impeachment, do the current proceedings typify that which Mr. Nadler warned against 20 years ago. The evidence is overwhelming that President Trump pressured a foreign government to target an American citizen for personal and political gain. As part of President Trump's corrupt effort to cheat and solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election. 
There is a remedy for that type of stunning abuse of power. And that remedy is in the Constitution. That remedy is impeachment and the consideration of removal, which is what this distinguished body is doing right now. That's not partisan. That's not the Democratic Party playbook. That's not the Republican Party playbook. That is the playbook in a democratic republic given to us in a precious fashion by the framers of the Constitution. The impeachment in this instance, of course, and the consideration of removal is necessary because President Trump's conduct strikes at the very heart of our free and fair elections. As North Carolinian Delegate William Davey noted at the Constitutional Convention, quote, if he be not impeachable while in office, he will spare no efforts or means whatsoever to get himself reelected. The framers of the Constitution understood that perhaps this remedy would one day be necessary. That is why we are here right now. The American people should decide an American election. Not the Ukrainians, not the Russians, not the Chinese, the American people. That is why this president was impeached. That is why it is appropriate for Democrats and Republicans, both sides of the aisle, not as partisans, as Americans, to hold this president accountable for his stunning abuse of power. So joining us to talk about the impeachment happenings is William Roberts, Managing Director of Democracy and Government Reform at, of the Center for American Progress. Hello there, William. Hi, how are you? Great to have you. So, you know, Thanks for me. sure. So in terms of everything that's going on with the impeachment process right now, is this really, at the end of the day, much ado about nothing? Or why is this really important to still sort of make these arguments, even though it appears as if the Republican Party has this sort of see, see no evil, hear no evil mentality and will just do whatever they do, no matter what evidence is brought to light? Sure. Well, you know, the House had a constitutional duty uh, to start the impeachment process, and the House did its job. The Senate also has the constitutional responsibility to do their job. And so um, although lots of folks are reading the tea leaves and doing the math to see that um, there are a number of Republican senators on the majority side that, um, despite taking an oath to do impartial justice, have decided um, to go along with the president's cover-up of what happened with Ukraine and the funding, it's still important to play this process out, um, not just um, for the American people who are watching, although that is extremely important, but because there's a constitutional necessity to do, to do so. This is a president of the United States we're talking about that abused his power uh, for personal political gain, and that just can't stand. Absolutely. So when we look at these sort of latest happenings with the whole Bolton revelation and where we yeah. are now in terms of potentially offering some sort of testimony, uh, where what would you gauge the state of play in terms of the likelihood that the Republicans might actually bend towards that specific issue? Well, so, you know, the, the witness question at the end of the day is the ballgame right now, right? Mm -hmm. We are in day two, and it's great that you played back some of those uh, pressing questions that went to the Chief Justice. 
um, to the council for the president and the house managers, but we are at the end of the questioning period almost. And then tomorrow we expect we're going to ha start having these votes on uh, witnesses. And as we know, um, most Americans know whether you're a lawyer or just watch Law and Order um, that real trials have witnesses and evidence. And so uh, John Bolton is the name that everyone wants to hear from, not just or least of all because of the revelations that just came out um, for his forthcoming book, but because lots of witnesses that the House called in the beginning of the impeachment process signaled John Bolton as um, someone who had crucial information about this story as the national security advisor. And so it is important um, that we hear from him. Now, uh, the, what, what folks are waiting to see is that there are four Republicans, at least four, um, that are willing to break with uh, Mitch McConnell and the, and, and the rest of the Republican caucus and vote with Democrats, one, just to vote to hear witnesses, mm -hmm. and two, to see if they would like to call Mr. Bolton to see what he has to say. So do you, when the rubber so, hits the road, do you really believe that they're going to stand out on the limb and vote against their leader? You know, um, hope springs eternal. Um, I think we are, <laughs> we find ourselves in one of these situations where we don't like to find ourselves, where we are counting on the courage of a Senate Republican to stand up in their caucus and do what's right. And we've been here before, whether it was with um, the repeated assaults on the Affordable Care Act by the president, um, or any of these other um, instances where we've been uh, pushed to the brink and counting on some Republicans on Senate. And so, you know, news reports say that uh, Mitt Romney um, is among this gang of folks who um, are interested in hearing from witnesses, potentially uh, Susan Collins, Lamar Alexander, Lisa Murkowski, and maybe some others. And so we have to wait and see. Um, I am hopeful that Senate Republicans, after sitting through hours and hours and days and days of this process being faced with what is uncontrovertible evidence of the president's wrongdoing will decide to stand up and do their duty for the american people but we'll have to see tomorrow we will have to see thank you for joining us and lending your perspective totally wonderful so joining us tonight to continue this discussion and more is erica savage wilson host of savage politics podcast Dr. Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, and Reese Colbert, founder of Black Women Views. So uh, what do you think the Republicans are going to do, given all of this evidence that they claim is not evidence? Uh, what do you think is going to happen when this question is brought to the table about whether or not they're going to allow Bolton and others to testify? I think they're going to do what they always do, which is punk out mm -hmm. and <laughs> basically bend to the will of Donald Trump. If John Bolton writing in his book saying that it's, this is basically the smoking gun of all smoking guns yep. is not enough to immediately convince them that they need witnesses so that this is not just a GOP cover-up, I don't know what else is going to do. It. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your thoughts about that, Dr. Carr? No, I'm in full agreement. Uh, yesterday, I thought, was particularly remarkable. Um, what we see is that the Republicans have now abandoned all pretense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they yes. are telling bold-faced lies on the floor of the United States Senate. And Adam Schiff is hilarious. He was so incredulous last night till he finally said, you know, so I'm clear Donald Trump is saying, I am the state. Yeah. Right. And Dershowitz, I want to applaud Professor Dershowitz in particular for dropping all pretenses. <laughs> no, anytime a man can stay, sit there and say that anything a president does to get reelected yeah. is okay, yeah. including quid pro quo, right. they have stripped all pretense. 
And so the only thing I say is that just before we went on air, Elizabeth Warren sent a message that John Roberts, who is a particularly striking piece of useless furniture in this, <laughs> the author of Citizens United, which unleashed this beast yes. Yes. on the institution he claims to love so well. But Elizabeth Warren sent a message. I want to read what she said. She said, does the fact that the chief justice is presiding over an impeachment trial in which Republican senators have thus far refused to allow witnesses or evidence contribute to the loss of legitimacy of the chief justice, the Ooh. Supreme Court, and Ooh. the Constitution? Ooh. Uh, John Roberts had to read that out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so let's be clear. Come on, Donald Trump isn't on trial here, Dr. Avis. Mm -hmm. American democracy is, and so far it's about to lose. That is a great point. So sort of bringing that up a little bit more, just, mm -hmm. um, Erica, you know, I saw this study a couple of months ago, several months ago, where it talked about the perceptions of racially intolerant whites in America. <laughs> and what they found was that among that population, if they believe that democracy will actually benefit mm -hmm. people of color, yeah. they are less likely to support democracy and they are, in <laughs> fact, more likely to support an autocratic system. So they're more likely to be in favor of having a dictatorship right. Right. than having a democracy which is beneficial to people of color. Are we just seeing this playing out in front of us in real time right now? Yes, we are. Dr. Carr and I just had mm -hmm. this side conversation. <laughs> they would rather have it burned to the ground oh, yeah. than see any um, sort of that poisonous tree known as equity mm. um, actually <laughs> leveled out. And so what I want to also say is that we, when we roll back, when we look back even at December, mm. Mitch McConnell went on Hannity and in three paragraphs that I typed up, and I put on all my social media platforms, <laughs> he laid out what the playbook was going to right. be. Mm -hmm. He said that he and the White House counsel and the president were going to work in concert yes, right. he did. for this sham of a Senate trial. So I right. absolutely agree with Dr. Carr, what Reese have said. Mm -hmm. This is American democracy uh, being on trial. And so I want to also add to that, I asked Dr. Carr, did, you know, were his students watching that? Yeah. And so he, you know, no. we, we talked about that very quick, and they're not. No. I'm wondering, too, along with what Mitch McConnell said, that that was something that he um, did not bend back from, why in the hell <laughs> aren't Democrat surrogates on TikTok, on. on social media, on, on black radio stations, on, on Roadrunner Unfiltered, unless on. two days a week? Why aren't they on Black Women Views? Why are they not at Howard? Come on. Why in the world are they not on podcasts that Black folks listen to and they are just reading back, letting them know yes. that, listen, all of what you see going on could be gone just like that. That's right. It is happening right in your face. It is not under our noses. This is in our face. That's right. So the communications department of the DNC needs Come to on. send Erica a check. No, right. please. Uh, no Erica question. Savage Wilson. Come on. Hey, Absolutely. That's right. Please. Please listen to her. Uh, <laughs> allies of Donald Trump are holding events in black communities where organizers praise Trump as they hand out tens of thousands of dollars to lucky attendees. Here's Kareem Lanier, co-chair of the Urban Revitalization Coalition. Come on down, Jessica Harris. Look at one of 300. 300. Now tell us what you're going to do with that money. Ooh, I'm going to spend it. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Four more years to President Trump. Yay! Uh... That was live and not Memorex. That was a real thing that happened, y'all. The first giveaway took place last month in Cleveland, where recipients whose winning tickets were drawn from a bin landed cash gifts 
and increments of several hundred dollars stuffed into envelopes. Oh, how, like, apropos is that? Uh, a second giveaway schedule for this month in Virginia has been postponed, and more are said to be in the works. Wow. wow. So how are we supposed to compete against just... Giving away cash. Now, let's be clear. We're talking about raffles, not reparations. Okay. We got <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Yes. We got a lot more bribing to do, Donald yes. Trump and Co. Before yes. you get the black vote. Now, will people yes. show up? You know, black people love a raffle, especially at the church. Oh, oh, yes, honey, gosh. please. Oh, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, $250. Oh. Cool. That's one of twosies. That's it. It's a marketing campaign yeah. by this pastor in Cleveland. They're too incompetent to take this on a wild scale. As you said, mm -hmm. the second event was canceled. Yeah. So I kind of look at this as a, a Sour Patch Kids strategy, Ooh. where first they're sour, and 99% of their strategy is sour, which is the voter suppression, which right. is the disinformation, which is the voter purging. It's yeah. all of these things that are there to suppress the black vote. And then you have the sweet, which is yeah. the raffle, which is the marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. Oh, black people, things have never been well. Black unemployment is down. And you know, it's not entirely a terrible strategy, just being honest. If yeah. we look at the Electoral College map, if we look at the success, success that they're having with this voter suppression, but it's just not going to do the trick. Yeah, so, you know, NAACP, didn't they come out recently with a statement saying our vote is not for sale? Not mm -hmm. for sale. Mm -hmm. And yet, it might be. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, this, this guy, Daryl, this brother real. from Cleveland, mm -hmm. I mean, we, you know, you know, was, he, Roland had him on the show when he was still over TV Ooh, One. Lord. And I mean, again, this is a space where I'm sure you have an invitation to come in and try to explain that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on an evening when we've seen just another glimpse of the power of black women mm -hmm. continuing to unfold, you know, I would say that I'm perfectly comfortable to say that it is these Negro men, preachers, mm -hmm. who we see lining up. There's a, there's a patriarchy dimension in this that is undeniable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to seize upon the misery of black people, to kind of scatter dollars around like this, some kind of strip club, at least the president of Virginia Union had to back out. I don't know whether it was through shame mm -hmm. or... Because you knew what that was. Right. But you got busted, brother. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> but the only other thing I would say is that's kind of a little bit disconcerting is that, you know, perhaps the other strategy is that they want to signal to these white racists who aren't quite comfortable with Trump mm. yeah. that they are trying to reach out to black people. Yes. Wow. And so, so if true. that's the case, this may not even be about black people at all. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think it's very interesting, though, from all the things that I've been seeing, it seems that Trump really is trying to have a specific black strategy right mm -hmm. now, from these making it rain occasions <laughs> like this, <laughs> to, you know, investing a lot in black media, to mm. really focusing a lot on the black male vote. I mean... Really, what do you think that, once again, I'm going to have you, have, I'm going to get you that check from the DNC. No, please do. What would you suggest <laughs> that the Democratic Party do to counteract what is a very real effort by uh, Trump in order to eat into the black vote? Mm. I, I, and I'm going to go back to what I said. It is, um, when I'm thinking about black men, I'm thinking about black men connected to radio, listening to stations like Russ Parr, mm -hmm. not just going to the barbershop, because here's the thing that upsets me about barbershop. That is a very private and sacred space mm -hmm. that men go in. I, you know, I have a um, uh, almost 21-year-old son, mm -hmm. and there was a point um, that I stopped taking him inside of the barbershop because mm -hmm. I felt as though that really was not my place. I sent him in, he was cared for, and he got to listen to a variety of conversations. Mm -hmm. um, so this the, the barbershop kind of tactic is not something that I'm specifically comfortable with, but being very, very, very intentional about reaching black men, one of that is through radio. So we mm -hmm. know that 
Um, Tom Joyner is no longer on our airwaves. But we do have men that still listen to Russ Parr. We do have men that actually still listen to Ricky Smiley. Mm -hmm. And then if there were a call specifically to black men, mm -hmm. black men like to be talked to. They yes. like to have True. their yes. doors knocked right, on right, as well. Right, right. Yes. So with all of the data that they have, um, if they reach out to one brother or they reach out to two brothers, those brothers can then go back to their sacred spots, which are barbershops, and say, hey, brother, there's going to be an event happening. There's going to be someone from the DNC that wants to talk specifically to us. Mm -hmm. And that should also be a man as well, if I might add. Mm -hmm. um, because what we're seeing happening um, right now is I went and looked on the urban... Um, Revitalization Coalition's <laughs> website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this 70-city tour that they're embarking Ooh, on, they had on three now. dates in 2019. That calendar is all the way empty. Mm. Wow. Um, it is really <laughs> has a lot of fillers in it. This 13-point model um, program that they're supposed to have is nothing. It is a whole bunch of hot air. So it, even what, um, what um, Donald and his minions um, are doing, there's still a real opportunity for the DNC and for other organizing um, democratic organizations to really get to the heart of black men. And, and I'll be honest and um, wrap it up here. I think there's no better time than now, mm. particularly when we're looking at a giant of a man who actually caused the world to pause in an unfortunate helicopter crash that mm. took the life of him, his daughter, mm. and seven other people. Mm. Yeah. So to mm. be very, very honest, this is a great time for the DNC to really look at their data to look at who they have on staff and to start organizing some very intentional radio spots. Mm -hmm. um, we have a black man that started a digital network. Mm -hmm. Some brothers that actually, we got a, a professor, we got a Dr. Greg Carr here to be very intentional in their outreach and planning events specifically and only for black men. Mm -hmm. Do you have faith that they'll do something like that though, sis? You know what I've seen time and time again is our votes being taken for granted. Yeah. I think that we're looked at as the voter mules. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, being on social media, I see the vote blue no matter who, vote blue no matter who. Well, that's not which that's not the energy that people have for the white evangelicals. Mm -hmm. They come yeah. to the white evangelicals with receipts. Here yeah. are my Supreme Court judges that are going to block abortion, that are oh, going okay. to roll back your civil rights. They the Democratic Party and the Republican Party too need to come to the black community with receipts. Mm -hmm. Don't just come to our churches, come to our place of businesses. You know, mm -hmm. come and show us, come to our colleges, but quit doing just the lip service. Right. You right. know, we need substance. Yep. And you need to court our votes just like you court every other demographic. We've heard nonstop about the white working class voters. We hear about the union mm -hmm. voters. They're black union voters too. Mm -hmm. We hear about all of these different dem demographics, but then when it comes to the black community, it is show up mm -hmm. and just be happy with what you get. Mm -hmm. And That's that is not acceptable anymore. And I am sounding the alarm. You guys are going to be in for a huge shock if you take our votes for granted. Again, I don't want to hear about black people didn't show up in these large numbers. It's their fault. It's your fault if you don't get us to the polls. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And these multi-lettered um, networks, I mean, even again this week, they um, were in Maine mm -hmm. and talking to Trump voters who were dressed yes. quite well, mm -hmm. um, drive luxury cars, I'm sure six- and seven-figure people, mm -hmm. asking them about their different se Senate representation during the impeachment trial, they are not, and so I agree with you, sis, and I, I agree with everything that we're saying here. They are continuing these media outlets, mm -hmm. and they're continuing on with their coverage um, and padding um, several layers of media with these same voters. The intentionality that has to come behind 
not just black women, but black men for mm -hmm. the Democratic Party has hey, got to happen. Absolutely. And one last thing on this, Dr. Carr, I'd love your perspective on just the way the whole party, the primary system is structured. I really think it is time to yes. step away from oh, the Iowa, Iowa first, New Hampshire first, yeah. mom. I mean, if you look at Iowa particularly, you got black congressional, I'm sorry, white congressional, <laughs> not obviously white, Republicans in Congress, mm -hmm. a Republican right. governor, right. They, they vote Republican all the time, Absolutely. yet our entire discourse <laughs> around who the Democratic nominee should be mm -hmm. is largely based on how people are doing in Iowa. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we're going to suffer if we mm. don't vote. Uh, you know, it's ironic that really a lot of this is structured around what happened in 1972 in Gary, Indiana. Mm -hmm. That black independent politics that came out of Gary, that fed electoral politics for a generation, mm -hmm. that kind of hit a watershed moment in presidential politics in the 84 and 88 Jackson campaigns. Mm -hmm. That energy was siphoned. I remember 1988, Ron Daniels, who just published his memoir, talked about that because he was the architect of that campaign in part. When they got to Atlanta and those Democrats, the Democratic uh, Party told Jackson, look, trade your delegates in to, de to nominate Dukakis and we'll give you some seats at the table. Ron Brown mm -hmm. came out of that and that's where Bill Clinton came from. Mm. But that's when the Democratic Party really turned toward this kind of DLC, neoliberal kind of thrust. It wasn't a progressive thrust. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward where we are now. The Sanders campaign mm -hmm. and the Warren campaign know that the largest block of voters in this country are those who don't participate. Right. So they're trying to reach out to these people who are not participating, but those are the poor people, those are the black and brown people, those are women and young people, and the Democratic Party, scared to death, is fighting that. Mm -hmm. And part of that fight is this kind of conservative Democratic Party that rejected the progressivism of Jesse Jackson, that it really isn't progressivism, as you said, takes our votes for granted, but wants to keep this, this structure in place that doesn't even realize our freedom dreams. So what are we faced with? We're faced with a Democratic Party scared to death of Bernie Sanders, looking at Elizabeth Warren as an acceptable compromise, but rather have Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar, or certainly Joe Biden, than either of those other two, and somewhere in the shadows looking at it, hoping he doesn't get to have to jump in, is Barack Obama, who ain't on the right team as far as I'm concerned. Because the real move in this is to get those people who don't vote. And for me, if finally, if Sanders is the nominee, go get Stacey Abrams. If uh, Warren is the nominee, uh, go get Julian Castro. Cory Booker, I don't even know so much. But what you're going to have to tell these people who don't participate, you're going to have to get them a reason to vote. And that reason is not Republican light, also known as the current Democratic Party. Well, golly, there's so much to say there. We, we have to... <laughs> I hate I, to I say, I'm just saying. I'm saying, I, we can, we can yeah, roll really, the receipts. Really, we can go, really we can go though, year for I mean, year for in the me, receipts. I mean, I'll well, tell you how I it works. Your, your, your larger now is absolutely yeah. correct in terms of the direction of the party. Yeah. But I also believe that a Saunders ticket is going to be like a complete um, just it'll be an implosion. Why? Why? Uh, for, first of all, for, he. I'm just is, asking. I'm not. I'm not endorsing uh, Bernie Sanders. I'm just asking why. Yeah. For, for, first of all, he. First of all, he's unvetted. He there are is. a lot of things he's never he's been te untested. Right. There are a lot of things that haven't come out about him that yeah. will come out all of the woodwork once he like gets what? that level. Well, there was just a video of him today um, praising um, George Wallace. Yeah. Uh, so that I just saw for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that. Obviously, uh, when people see a commercial that says this is your paycheck now, mm -hmm. this is your paycheck after, mm -hmm. uh, we have Medicare for all paying off student loans, uh, free college, that sort of sort of visual, I think, will be 
very damaging. But that's voter stupidity, uh, right? But that's that, that could be remedied by be, education. You, know, you can call it that. It's <laughs> not. No, I'm saying that they don't know. Most people You're not paying in tax. this culture, in this culture. Right. Well, first of all, and also, and also, let's just be honest. The man has been in Congress for 30 years. Has passed seven laws. Oh, Three of them have been post office. You know what? Maybe we should he, have he's, another he's show not, where we just go through this chapter We're not electing a king. We're electing a president. We got so a king now. They're getting ready to destroy the Constitution. What I'm saying to is that if he were to do that, he yeah. would have to get it past Congress. Yeah. And he has not shown the ability to do that in right. 30 years. Those are just my thoughts. I don't but know you know, yes, and, and my thing, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see any receipts in the community for Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. There's a lot of racial hostility in the progressive movement that I've seen. Okay, okay. Well, I help, see a help, lot help of racial hostility. Maybe we should invite Nita yeah. Turner here to well, talk and, about well, that. You know, since she's I the co-manager of, of Nita Turner. Yeah. Okay, we can do that too. It don't matter to me. No, but because I'm saying, saying there's really no defense of the Democratic Party. I mean, I understand party politics and yeah. people got to eat, yeah. but let's be clear about the politics. I mean, let's tell. I, I mean, and say, we, I we can talk about that another time. Correct. There definitely is some racial hostility on the progressive right. To say that there isn't is not accurate either. And there's also a minimization of racial issues. They have very, very, very limited competence. By the Bernie Sanders specifically. By, by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth. They have very what minimal. Part of subsidized education or health care eliminates black people, since we will be the ones to benefit. Okay, the so most. this is the universal. Yeah. No, 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 I'm, no, 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 no. But argument. I'll just say this: so, when you so, look at the, he's the also Jackson the same campaign, person who, whenever you ask him anything, has to do with race. Yeah. Right. He immediately shifts yeah, to class. You know yeah. the. You know but the. Even, I, you, even this issue, you had. He had to be dragged into wanting to at least study reparations. Right. No. In 20, yes, he was because in 2016. Now, when he was asked specifically about this, this is y'all know because I've said this 50 bazillion times right, on the show. Yeah, right. The thing that really pissed me off about him mm. is that when he was asked about reparations when he ran last time, in literally a nanosecond, his immediate reaction was, oh God, that's unrealistic. Every fucking thing he's talking about is unrealistic. Yeah. So all of a sudden, what? you are talking, you say that everything else is, is realistic. No, 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 that no, reparations, no. I'm not saying he that has at all. A, no, I'm not saying you. I'm saying Oh, I, I see. Him. Yeah. When he, when he, when that point was raised, that's unrealistic. But nothing else that he's talking about is. But unrealistic. Well, part of it is. Well, so he has a race problem. But, but we, whether I, or not I think, we want to I think we have it. to probably have a, a little bit more nuanced discussion of reparations. For example. Uh, people are talking about it's the first time in a presidential campaign that we see it on the table. Those people don't have an awareness of history. The Jackson campaign of 84 and 88, which Sanders yeah, worked right. with, mm -hmm. had reparations on their platform. Again, coming out of Gary 72. If you listen to Jesse Jackson in 84 and 88, he sounded exactly like Bernie Sanders sounds now on the issue of reparations as it relates to redistributing wealth. What do I mean by that? When he was in Appalachia, when he was out there in California, Reverend Jackson, which is why he had a plurality of delegates going into 88, he was talking about expanding the economic base and reparations would be distributed in part by subsidized health care, education. This, in fact, is the birth of what Bernie Sanders is talking about. But here's the problem. The Democrats were scared as hell. So when I hear these critiques of Sanders and even Warren, who's kind of gesturing toward it, I remember those same critiques of Jackson, except because Jackson is a black man, we saw it as an attack on race. We have to be a little bit more sophisticated, I think, when we start talking about this question. If they run an ad, and this is where I think Bloomberg is going to be important, Bloomberg's going to be important in this regard. He ain't going to win nothing, but he's a billionaire who's going to spend all of his money attacking Trump. So he's going to keep softening Trump up after the primaries. But if you look at it, there's no such thing as free anything. It's substantive. No, 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 no. We pay taxes. Mm. What they're talking about is redistributing wealth mm. by using our tax money for our good. It's subsidized education. None of this is free. And if you think about it, 
This is the platform, if you look at the reparations, like in COBRA, National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, the National African-American Reparations Coalitions, NARC, this is their platform. This right. isn't exclusively black, but when we think of it that way, we're really, and that's when Bernie Sanders says, we're dealing with identity politics, people say, he's attacking black people. No, what he's saying is yeah. that in America, class is race and race is class, but if we're looking for true. a specific appeal to black cultural nuances, we're gonna miss the larger point that the thing that people are terrified of, because, you know, corporate interests give to Democrats, too, is a redistribution of wealth. And I'm telling you right now, the Democratic Party of today would have been the Republican Party of the 1950s, and all we got to do is match up the platform. Well, I, I, I shudder to think that class is race and race is class, because I don't yeah. care if okay. you're a billionaire with the, and, and you're running down the street in your nice car, when you get pulled over, that pol that policeman isn't going to ask for your tax return. I agree, but... He's going to see your black you know, skin, and that's going to be it. So at uh, this moment, we got to take a break, and we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> you want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. On Monday, February 3rd and Tuesday, February 4th, the National Leadership Conference is issuing a call to action. Next year will be a critical year for the nation and a year of existential threats for the African-American community. From the potential continuation of devastating Trump administration policies to a census cynically designed to undercount our community, to national, state, and local elections, the African-American community needs to be organized and assert the full force and power of our communities, including electing people who will champion our interests. The conference will be called with a sense of urgency that concludes with a specific action plan for African-American leaders to take back to their communities. During the early years of the CBC, the caucus periodically convened African-American leaders from around the nation to tackle different issues or respond to various crises. As the nation, and in particular our community, is experiencing the most hostile administration since the 1950s, the time is right again for the CBC to step up and convene leaders from around the nation. The goals are to initiate a CBC-led national call to action to mobilize African-American participation in the 2020 census, voting rights, and the CBC legislative agenda. To promote and support other organizational efforts affecting the African-American population, like labor, students, local election officials, and faith communities. The Future of Black America, a call to action two-day conference, will be held at the nation's capital and will include plenary sessions and workshops covering key issues. The CBC will take the lead in moderating and facilitating, but leaders from around the nation will be invited to present the issues, strategies, and work from various communities. The conference will begin with an off-site political session and a full day of plenaries and workshops. For, for more information, go to cbc.house.gov slash 2020 summit. So Donald Trump announced that he expects to sign the phase one trade deal with China on January 15th or shortly thereafter. The deal, which was agreed to in principle last month, will reduce, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, that was probably supposed to be February 15th. Uh, the deal, which was agreed to in principle last month, will produce tariffs, boost Chinese purchase of American goods, and address intellectual property concerns. So what does this trade deal mean for the U.S. and the global economy? And more specifically, what does it mean to black farmers who are already suffering as a direct result of trade tariffs and climate change? Joining me to talk about this is Dr. John Wesley Boyd, founder of the National Black Farmers Association. How are you, Mr. Boyd? Thank you very much for having me. So it's, it's very, very good to be here and spend time. 
Absolutely. So glad to have you here. Now, we know that you have been on the vanguard of fighting for black farmers now for years, and it took you forever to be able to get the rewards of that lawsuit that you all had, had won. And at the minute that it seems like maybe that uh, black farmers were gaining their feet, their footing again financially, you're stuck with this situation with the trade war. You know, how have black farmers fared as a result of everything that's going on right now between Trump and China? Well, I tell you, uh, the trade wars really hurt hurt uh, black farmers more than it hurt uh, white farmers because uh, one, we're not participating in the, uh, the president's uh, so-called uh, bailout program for farmers, the the, the MP uh, uh, payments that went out uh, thirteen billion dollars. Uh, blacks are just not uh, receiving these funds, and wow. we pressed uh, the administration and we pressed uh, Congress at uh, several hearings to. Uh, to look into the matter as to why uh, black farmers around the country aren't receiving these uh, payments. And quite frankly, the payments are going to uh, large corporations uh, such as JBS, a, a, a foreign uh, a pork company, uh, received a $13 million payout. It oh should have went to, uh, to, to farmers. Uh, so there's some wide disparate uh, figures that are that are uh, that's, that's currently happening and, and it's going on without little or no oversight. And it's because the president continues to say something more stupid than he said today. Hmm. So you can't keep your issue out there uh, to where the media really dig into the issue and hold the, this administration accountable because the president simply says something that takes the focus off today and, and changes, changes it again tomorrow. Absolutely. He's the master of deflection. So it, yes, deflection is the word I'm looking for. Absolutely. And, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. ahead. And, and I was saying that uh, this administration has, uh, has uh, been uh, uh, black people's worst nightmare. Mm. And what I mean by that is uh, there's no loans going out to uh, blacks at the United States Department of Agriculture. The mm. top 10 banks aren't lending money. Uh, to, to black farmers. And I, I read uh, a quote the other day that um, Roosevelt, under Roosevelt's administration, they made more loans, uh, farm loans to uh, wow. sharecroppers and black farmers than, uh, than this administration is making to, to uh, black farmers. Uh, we have to do something uh, to organize and mobilize and get someone that can de defeat this uh, president in, in the general election. I don't care who it is. They got to, anybody would be better than this president at this point, Absolutely. based on my opinion. Based on my opinion, and uh, he can uh, he, he puts people down and, and degrades people, degrades black people and, and women. Uh, I can't see why uh, white farmers in this country continue to uh, overwhelmingly support this president in, in red states, based on the condition, the all-time low prices for farmers, eight dollar bushel. Uh, for soybeans, uh, four dollars and some change a bushel for for, for mm -hmm. corn and wheat. Mm -hmm. These these are 1980 that's prices. That's that's just astounding to me. Um, I come from a family of, of farmers, and that's yeah. a lot of hard work. In my mind, there's no harder yes. work in America than being a farmer. And I, I'm I'm wondering. You know, from what you just described, you're not getting access to the quote-unquote bailout money that's actually going to big business that's instead right. of farmers. You're not getting yes. access to loans to be able to keep your farms afloat. And at yes. the same time, you're getting squeezed in the supply line because of this, uh, this, this war that's going on, this trade war that's going on with China. 
Do you yes. have any sense of how many of our farms have been lost because of this incompetence? Well, I can't tell you what our national conference that we had uh, last no November. Uh, the farmers are, are simply saying they don't know how they're going to hold on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and we're going to have to band together and start helping ourselves because this administration ain't going to help us. And, uh, you know, there's athletes and, and uh, persons of color, and we need to start organizing and opening banks so that we can start lending ourselves some money instead mm -hmm. of begging money from our top 10 banks that don't want any anything to do with us. Mm -hmm. These are some things that we have to start doing, and, and we're going to have to start doing it fairly quickly. Uh, my dad said the other day, a uh, man almost 80 years old, yeah, we're going to have to start loving one another yeah. uh, uh, to, make these, to make these things uh, uh, happen because this administration wants nothing to do with, with black people, and uh, they, they treated uh, black farmers worse than the dirt on the ground. Oh, my goodness. So I, I, I kind of remember towards the end of the last um, campaign that Trump, went on his final appeal, said uh, famously, what do you have to lose, uh, referring to black people uh, as he was uh, running for office. If you were to answer that question now, in hindsight, what has black people lost, uh, particularly black farmers, as a result of having someone like this in the White House? And I'm going to sum it up with one word, everything. Mm. Mm. Wow. Everything. Everything. Wow. wow. And uh, this president, this president is, is, is the worst thing I've seen uh, in, in my adult life as wow. far as in, in, the, in the political arena. And I had the opportunity to visit with every president since Jimmy Carter in the White House, Republican and Democrat. Mm -hmm. This president is the worst. His secretary, agriculture secretary, Sonny Perdue, told me in a meeting when I asked him, about uh, uh, putting more blacks into local offices on the county committee so that blacks can start receiving more loans. He said that uh, he didn't need any tokens of people that didn't want to work. What? Uh, this, is, this is what Sonny Perdue said in, in the cage at the United States Department of Agriculture. And I asked him what oh he meant about God. it. And I told him I didn't know any black farmer that was on the farm working uh, that didn't want to work. Uh, and I told them that uh, I have two young men. I can still outwork my sons. And I told them, Mr. Secretary, I probably can outwork you. Uh, they have the wrong myth about black people that we don't want that we don't want to work. And they forget that we built this country. Come on, we made cotton king and tobacco go. We made we done all those things as black people in this country, and we cleaned up the South and all these things. Black people done that, and we done it by our uh, work, and quite frankly, we done it by free labor. Absolutely. Uh, so, why don't okay. understand that uh, we're not lazy, and, and uh, we're not looking for a paycheck on Friday that that we didn't earn. So, all that stuff is myths, but especially as it relates to black farmers. I hear you. So, we do have one question here from the panel. Yes, Mr. Boyd. Mm -hmm. So, I I saw in um, the Phase One deal that there is a goal to, or China is kind of promising to. Um, basically restore the prior levels of what they were buying. But I, you also mentioned that the price has been cut so low, so the yes. volume that you have to produce is so much higher, right? So is there any relief that you know of in terms of the pricing, or does it seem like you're going to have to work twice as hard just to get back to square one with this Trump-failed tax uh, trade policy? We're going we're to have to work much harder to get back to where we were. Mm -hmm. And uh, like myself, I raised corn, wheat, and soybeans, and 100 head, 100 head of beef cattle. Uh, mm. Black farmers are going to have to start diversifying and, and, and growing crops such as hemp. Mm -hmm. 
and and uh, start thinking out of the box and do more creative things to to create wealth and income on our farms because this administration simply isn't going to do it for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Yeah. Well, Mr. Boyd, thank you so much for your advocacy you. and all the work that you do for black farmers around the nation. And thank you guys for doing what you do. I listen, and you have some powerful conversation, and people are listening. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, any thoughts about this? I mean, this is, like, tragic. It is. And in, in reading it, I thought about the 1619 Project in which they talked about black farmers. I've yeah. seen the stories of black farmers how they're being forced, really, to sell land. And yeah. I'm so glad Dr. Boyd said what he said because um, the whole um, profile of black people being lazy mm. oh, is what was the first thing that got me kicked out of class mm -hmm. um, when I was, a, a, you know, a child. Um, when we were the first assets on the book, right. and as Dr. Boyd said, we uh, have made, um, I think he said something around cotton, gold, and um, mm -hmm. cash king. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so when you when you think about that in terms of who is actually getting away, who is actually getting over on the system, mm -hmm. um, who is skirting the system, we're seeing it played out in impeachment right now. You're talking about a man who could stand to lose 886 acres. Mm -hmm. Wow. And three generations of farmers. And so um, I'm glad that he mentioned um, talking about coming together, mm -hmm. black banks, mm -hmm. um, the things that yes. our parents and grandparents absolutely yes. diversifying the crops. But um, if there were ever a time that unity just really was a priority, mm -hmm. that time is now. Yeah. And so it is uh, above and beyond kind of uh, the silliness that we're seeing happening to get very yeah. serious um, because this is not going to change with an election. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. it's not no. going to change with an election. No, no, no. It's 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 a um, as you say, uh, Erica. It's it's a it's an economic model. I mean, if you go back to the Civil War, uh, when the North actually in places like Davis, Bend, Mississippi, and in the Sea Island, South Carolina, turned the land over to the formerly enslaved Africans so they could work that land and they used that profit actually pay for the Freedmen's Bureau mm -hmm. to subsidize the war effort. When they then, after the Civil War, gave that land back to the former to the former slave masters and northern land speculators, that began the land theft of black people. Van Newkirk wrote an excellent article in the, in the Atlantic about mm -hmm. three months ago on this theft of black land. Mm -hmm. Ironically, much of that theft land that's now in the hands of agribusiness yeah. is one of the deepest pockets that an investment uh, group that we probably all know, TIA Cref, yeah. comes from. So we, some of us <laughs> wow, actually, yes, really? yeah, yeah, it's in Van Newkirk's article for the Atlantic. I, I suggest the reason I bring yeah. this up because John Boyd is a, is a legend. He's a titan yes. in this yes. struggle. Yes. And what he is saying actually taps into a long history of black collective land ownership and buying. Mm, you know, right. Sonny Badu is, is, a, is a old line race criminal. Mm. Yes, he a is. A deep racist mm -hmm. in Georgia. big agriculture, no question. Yeah. And when you see the subsidies that are going on, mm -hmm. it's going, over half that money is going to that little 1%. Sonny and his boys. Right. Yeah. And so, John Boy, it may look like a lot of land to us, but those are small farmers. Right. The only way they're going to be able to, is to, to get to do something is to collectivize right. community land trusts, agribusiness, black owned banks, and then they can move forward. This is where the sister who got kicked around by the former Secretary of Agriculture in the Obama administration, Shirley Sherrod in Georgia, yes. caught an L because, see, Shirley Sherrod and them were doing that in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. But see, the problem is the political economy. The yeah. Republicans are at the absolute worst thing. But what yeah, the Democrats are going to have to do, they're going to have to learn a little bit more about collective work Right, and right. get away from this hyper-capitalist model. Right. But I'm not saying the Republicans shouldn't, because Republicans, we got to get them out. The other thing right, I would right. say is this. 
China is no friend of anyone in the United States. Mm -hmm. That is, they're never going to restore the amount of subsidy they were, of money they were giving to the United States. That right. money's now going to Brazil. Mm -hmm. Right. That money's going to go to Latin America. Well, can America. you blame them? Well, no, but that's this, business. But see, but see, right. this, uh, Trump this, screwed that nah, up. Nah, this is only last, This is the thing that really is the tragedy. When we don't look at the United States in an international context, and we think that somehow national politics don't have an international thumbprint, mm, that's right. right. We cut ourselves off as black people from people around the world. Mm. When the Chinese decide, y'all go to hell, we're all over Africa, we're all over Latin America, the United States of America is getting ready to implode. You're right. And, and, and it's going, when it implodes, we're going to be standing here naked talking about what happened, waving flags. We got to get smarter about this. Yeah. Come on. And if John Boyd needs to make a deal with the Chinese, don't go to Washington, D.C. to do it. Get on the phone and call Lagos, mm. call Sao, Sao Paulo, nah, nah, nah. and mm. figure out the United States has never been the friend of black people. We got to think differently mm. to that's do this. Never. And it doesn't begin with saying America first. No, black people first. Mm. And that's right. a different paradigm. Absolutely. Right. I, I do think, though, that this is an opportunity for the Democrats to step up because yes. the reality yes. of the matter is that this bailout is an appropriation. Yeah. It's that's congressional right. funds. Yeah. yeah. So that's the right. Democrats, hey, receipts... <laughs> That's right. That's right. When these appropriations That's are right. done, you need to be getting up in there. You want to call it pork? I don't give a damn what you call it. That's yeah. right. But show up for the black farmers. They right. have power That's in these negotiations, just like they will and deal for everything else. God damn it, will and deal for this. Come right. on. Okay. Come on. So if, when these appropriations, these bills, you want to talk about the Iowa farmers, when you're talking about the white farmers, you don't want to talk about the black farmers. That's right. Handle that. Right. Okay. Use your power, your congressional, your constitutional power over appropriations to make sure that there is more equity yes. in these bailouts mm -hmm. and that they're not just going to the wealthy That's and right. that they're not just going to the white farmers, but that they're going to the black farmers who need it the most. Yeah, right. And that's what we're talking about, the value of the black vote. That's because right. Dr. Mm -hmm. Boyd also said he's not heard diddly squat. Mm -hmm. He said diddly squat mm -hmm. from a Tim Kaine mm -hmm. right. and from a Mark Warner right. who thought it was so impressive in 2016 to be speaking Spanish mm. as a VP <laughs> um, candidate. Um, mm -hmm. So absolutely, I, I totally agree with what you said, Reese. This is a time to step up and show and prove. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it, I, this is where our land is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. This is where general generational wealth is yeah. in our community. We oftentimes overlook what's going on in rural areas. We yes. definitely mm -hmm. overlook the fact that there are black people in rural areas, right. and we what? specifically overlook That's the right. plight of black farmers. Mm -hmm. I, 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 <laughs> except for you, Erica. <laughs> She ain't forgot her country roots. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, she's clutching her pearls. Like, I talk about that all the time. Right. But, you know, right. but, you know for real, though, we need right. to focus right. on yeah. this yeah. Mm -hmm. part of our community that is valuable, right. uh, that has family bonds and family wealth that goes back for generations, and we have to do everything that we can yes. to protect it. Yes. Because once that land is gone, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And yeah. I really feel like there are folks that are sitting here just waiting for the oh, moment no to snatch it up. Absolutely. Come on. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for having such a great discussion again, guys. Thank you. And I still love you, Dr. Carr. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I love I black people. I'm going to ride for us every day. I hear you. <laughs> I do, too. But we just take different cars. Okay. We're both riding you for go. black That's right. Same caravan. That's right. <laughs> so that concludes today's Roland Barton Unfiltered. I'm glad you joined us. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow when Roland will be broadcasting from North Carolina A&T. Hello, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Also, don't forget to support Roland Martin Unfiltered so you can continue to get this kind of programming every day. Until next time, I'm Dr. Avis. Enjoy your evening. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.